Focusing a bit more on the university than the seminary, but in the midst of it all is a deep understanding that uh, at this time and at this place, in this sacred place, uh, we are being commissioned uh, through our ministry in education. So welcome to this event. Uh, welcome to our worship team who uh, are all made up of alumni and uh, not all alumni. Uh, if anybody doesn't like the hat that Jason's wearing, I like it. <laughs> I've always liked that hat and only Jason knows how to wear it with style. And so I just want to say thank you for wearing your hat for me. All right. Let's stand together. Let's pray. God of wonder, God of grace, God of all culture, God who speaks to us, we come on the other side of our Easter celebrations to pause once again and to worship, to sit, to listen, and to celebrate your movement in our lives. We thank you for this place and for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we invite you to sing along as we worship, and you can sing, you can clap. If you feel so led, you can dance. The Resurrection of Jesus, John 20, verses 1 to 23. Early on, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They, they have taken away the Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary, what are you saying? The tomb, Jesus. What? How is this possible? Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Mary, we must go now. Okay. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. <laughs> As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She Who, told them, Whom are you looking for? They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, 
but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Woman, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father, my Father, to my God and your God. Yes, my Lord. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen him. I have seen him. Mary, what are you saying? The Lord, I have seen him. How can this be? And she told them that he had said these things to her. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Be not afraid, I go before you always, come follow me, and I will give you rest. You shall cross the barren desert, but you shall not die of thirst. You shall wander far in safety, though you do not know the way. You shall speak your words in foreign lands, and I will understand. You shall see the face of God and live. Follow me. Outside the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
As Christians, our hope is rooted in the truth that by faith we are united with Christ in his life, death, and his resurrection. Yes, we are people of the cross, but we are equally the community of the empty tomb. As a follower of Jesus, I am learning what it means to live the resurrection every day. My name is Andrew, and I'm a graduate from Tyndale, then Ontario Bible College, in 1991. Tyndale prepared me well. It expanded my perspective. It gave me my first glimpse of true Christian community. It's where I grew up, learned to think, was formed in my faith. In leaving, I was unsure of how God would use me. I assumed I would head back to our family farm, but ironically, God directed me into urban ministry. He opened up opportunities to work with inner-city youth, which led to working with families, which eventually confirmed a calling to parish ministry, recognizing that the gospel ultimately brings restoration not only to individuals, but also to families, neighborhoods, and cities. While in ministry, I completed my seminary training at OTS, and in 1996, I married Amy Russell, also an OBC grad, and together we helped establish a wonderful, missional faith community in the West End of Mississauga. I worked there along with Dr. Roy Matheson and several other Tyndale alumni. Being a farm boy, I went with my strength and I treated the city neighborhood like a small town. And our ministry was successful, creative, and fulfilling. We were active in the community, busy raising our four boys. I worked too much, I worried about too many things, but life was good. Then I got sick. In 2012, I walked across the parking lot after our Sunday service and my legs gave out. I collapsed against the side of my car. I felt like I was dying. For a couple of years, my health had gradually been declining without a hint of diagnosis. It began with my emotions and I battled anxiety and depression. Then there was significant weight gain, high blood pressure, out of control blood sugar and constant pain. As my illness continued, the decline picked up speed. I began to experience sleeplessness, chills, swelling, digestion problems, bladder issues, kidney and liver trouble, and the list kept growing. Doctors did multiple scans, MRIs, countless blood tests. It appeared like every system in my body was misfiring or somehow shutting down. I could feel the grip of the curse taking my life. I desperately did not want to die, but I committed that if I was going to die, I wanted to die well. I have a friend who had a saying that became my mission. In order to die well, you must learn to live well. So that's what I got busy doing. I worked through an inventory of my life. First, I reaffirmed my faith in Jesus Christ I was going to trust and follow him in life, in death, and into eternity. If I had not settled that matter, I don't know if I could have done it later because I got so sick. 
Second, I looked at my relationships and honestly assessed if there was anyone I needed to forgive or to be reconciled with. Was there any unfinished business? This was for my own good because I did not have the strength to carry those grudges anymore. I needed to release myself by forgiving those who had hurt and offended me. Then I asked God to bring to mind people whom I needed to seek forgiveness from, anyone I had hurt or offended or wronged. I made a list and I started contacting people, confessing my wrongdoing, asking for forgiveness, offering to make things right. This is harder than forgiving. I discovered, though, that most people are amazingly gracious when you come clean with them. The third thing that I did was I began to thank people who had been a blessing or an encouragement to me over the years. Each month, I would contact one person, an old college roommate, a lady who used to babysit me, a friend from childhood, a neighbor, and I told them how much, how much God had used them in my life. It's particularly strange, especially for people who do not yet believe, to hear that a God they do not believe in was at work through their lives encouraging someone else. It's also a little weird phoning someone up out of the blue, sometimes after 20 years, and telling them you'd like to buy them lunch because you want to say thank you. I just want to bless you, I would say, and people don't quite know what to do with that. But in the end, they all appreciated it, and it felt right every time I took the opportunity to express gratitude. I asked the elders of our church to come to our house to serve our, our family communion, to pray over us and to anoint me with oil for healing. I then wrote letters to each of my four boys and my wife, letters that simply reminded them of the good things I see in them, how proud I am of them and how much I love them. Forgiving, reconciling, blessing, praying, loving, living well, living the resurrection, the life that Jesus calls us to. How would things change if we all really pursued faith, life, and our relationships with a deep awareness of our mortality? Jesus lived that way, and that is why he was able to say from the cross, it is finished. Going on a hunch, a doctor ordered a test which confirmed that I was suffering from Cushing's disease. With this disease, a small tumor forms on your pituitary gland, essentially causing it to go to sleep. A healthy pituitary regulates the hormone level in the body, but with Cushing's, that production of hormones goes unchecked, like an unopened, a valve that is stuck opened. The only treatment is neurosurgery. They go back through the nose and up, close to the optic nerve and the brain. Two weeks after diagnosis, I was booked for surgery, and the surgery was successful, removing the tumor. But my post-operative condition dramatically declined. I began having trouble breathing. I had a seizure. I was bringing up blood. It appeared to everyone, including me, that I was in the final hours of my life. More tests discovered that I had a large pulmonary embolism. A clot had formed near my heart, and the situation was critical. Doctors were unsure how to proceed. They could not treat me with blood thinner because of the high risk that I would bleed to death from my surgical site. 
They didn't think I was strong enough to survive heart surgery to remove the clot. I vaguely recall the tension of three doctors discussing how to proceed as they gathered around my bed in the ICU. They were, however, sure of one thing. If they did nothing, I would certainly die. In the end, they treated me intravenously by inserting a catheter in an artery in my leg up to the site of the clot where they released a small amount of blood thinner, hoping for the best. As they feared, my surgical site began to bleed and they were forced to stop the treatment. They worked to stem the bleeding and then it was a matter of waiting and seeing. That night, I fully anticipated I would die. I was sad. I was afraid. I desperately wanted to live. But I knew I had to take hold of the promise that God loved my family and my friends and my church community more than I did, and I could entrust those I loved to him. I went looking for Jesus in prayer, seeking relief from the hurricane of pain and confusion I was in, and he found me. In a vision, I was standing before Jesus, and I knew that this was about trust, but I feared that if I gave him my life, he would take it. But knowing nowhere else to go and trusting his love, I made the declaration, I choose life in Jesus Christ, reaffirming the decision I had made months before. At that moment, I thought I would die. I also knew that I could instantly be healed. Neither happened, but I was still alive. After three days in the ICU, I began to slowly recover. When I finally was able to write, I wrote these words on my, in my phone, three days and then the resurrection. And every day since has been a day of resurrection living for me. I know it is a gift. And so I tr live it and enjoy it to the full. I don't cling to my life, my status, my job, my family the way I once did. I seek to hold them loosely, knowing that he is the one who holds us all tightly. In preparing to die, I learned to live. A very special part of my story is what others did. During the time I was in the hospital and for the months of recovery later, we were overwhelmed by the countless acts of kindness. Some people visited, others cooked meals gave our children rides to their activities, some sent us cards. Yes, people still do that, and it still means a lot. I have every one. Some called us on the phone, some prayed with us, some sat in the hospital. What surprised me was who cared for us. It wasn't those you would expect. Often it was distant friends, acquaintances, even strangers. But the love expressed through the unexpected was like a whisper from God telling us he was still there. The love, that God, the love of God was displayed to us in so many ways. The love of an old friend from college who went out of his way to come and visit. Another friend from college who drove an hour across the city just to drop off a lasagna. Love was a nurse who handed, held my hand when I was afraid. Another who covered a gym membership so I could regain my strength. Love cleaned our house, walked our kids to school. Love was shown through a doctor who prayed with us in the examination room when the answers were not coming. 
I learned what Paul declares in his letter to the Romans, that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God's love comes through his people. Think about those in your life right now who are suffering, maybe even dying. You may not feel that close to them, but you may be just the person God wants to use to encourage them. What can you do to help? Don't just ask, is there anything I can do? Do something. Don't just say, I will pray. Stop. And if they're comfortable, put your hand on them and pray for them right there or write a prayer for them. Leave a message and don't expect a return call. Become the hands, voice, and feet of Christ in the life of someone who is suffering. Inspire them to the resurrection. To my surprise and delight, God restored me. I received the gift of getting to grow young again. At the end of my illness, at the the height of my illness, I was taking a dozen pills a day just to stay alive, and I had trouble walking up a flight of stairs. Today, I took a baby aspirin and a multigrain, and I went on a 5K run. My doctors are confounded, but I know it is Jesus who has healed me, and he has healed me in more ways than one. My good days are a taste of the ultimate resurrection that is still to come for those who believe. My rough days are a reminder that until that day, we are all still dying. It's an encouragement to live well, knowing that life isn't short, it's forever. And I want to live now like we will live then. I am currently pastoring a new congregation. I'm in a new season of life and ministry, and it is exciting. I am seeking to follow Jesus, who went through the doorway of death and suffering alone, so that we would never have to. He shows us that we find our life by laying it down and being raised up with him in the resurrection. It is a real honor and privilege for me, after all these years, to come uh, back to the institution from which I graduated 38 awesome years ago and play some piano music for you on this beautiful instrument. The medley I will play consists of a Bach prelude, followed by a stanza of Beethoven's Ode to Joy in somewhat the same style as the Bach. This will then be followed by a portion of the piece entitled Meditation by Jules Massonet, and then the medley will end with one stanza of the glorious hymn entitled O Boundless Salvation by General William Booth. This hymn has many wonderful stanzas. But let me quote my favorite stanza, the last one, which says, And now, hallelujah, the rest of my days shall gladly be spent in promoting his praise, who opened his bosom to pour out this sea 
of boundless salvation, of boundless salvation, of boundless salvation for you and for me.
the gloriousness and magnificence of the music that you're experiencing today really can be only attributed to the passion that we have for music that comes within our very hearts and our souls. And I really like to thank Margaret for bringing alive the beauty of the sound from our brand new piano that we have with us today. And it took us about a year, over a year, to search for this particular piano because we wanted to find a musical instrument that did justice to this beautiful place that God has given to us. I'd like to ask Rosa Remini to come up, please. We had some help, some very beautiful and warm direction in choosing this magnificent instrument. And we are just indebted to Rosa Remini and her husband, Michael Remini, who are from the Remini House of Music. And they have been serving the city of Toronto for the last 50 years, I believe. And I have personally known her for over 30 years and really admire their passion and integrity for how they want to serve the community and really encourage and inspire people with their love for music. So we'd like to thank you very much. We're sorry that Michael was not able to join us. He's just not feeding very well. But we wanted to have Rosa come and hear the unveiling of the very first time that we are playing this magnificent instrument here in our chapel. Thank you very, very much, Rosa. But this, that isn't all of their contribution to our love for music here at Tyndale. Rosa and her husband, Michael, have agreed to help us establish the very first Remini Music Fund, which is going to enable all of us to invite wonderful artists and have glorious musical events at Tyndale to support our re-energized music program at Tyndale, and we encourage all of you to come and support this wonderful fund that Rosa and Michael are beginning together for us. So thank you once again, Rosa. This is a celebration of a history. I probably should stand up here so people can see me. I've been watching Dawn uh, bawling and crying uh, as everything happens. This is a celebration of a long history of music and a long history of people who have come to this school when it had all sorts of different kinds of names. We call it Tyndale now, but many of them graduated when it was a different name. Uh, but it all comes from that very place that it began in 120 years ago. Uh, this is at the end of, of, uh, of our fiscal year, and the Easter in the chapel will be a time in which we celebrate the resurrection, and also we ask you to, to participate in uh, supporting this place. Uh, Tyndale University College and Seminary, the second largest a Christian institution of higher education, the largest graduate school of theology in Canada, uh, one of the few places that has brought these kinds of worlds together. Uh, we had an amazing time when the sisters handed us the key to this place two and a half years ago. It was in this chapel. I don't think I'll ever forget it. 
as about a hundred sisters stood up and sang over the students and the faculty and they sang over the staff a blessing at the end of the service they handed us the key and then our students stood and sang a blessing over them God is doing something amazing in this place uh, he has brought pieces of the of the kingdom of God together in an amazing witness Tyndale receives no funding from the government except for student uh, tuition or in terms of student loans uh, we receive no funding unlike Manitoba and Alberta where Christian universities do receive funding Tyndale receives nothing we have this amazing time uh, at the end of February where we tell students this is the tuition day this is the end of their tuition and from that point on it is people like you who have supported them in their ability to come and to study at Tyndale University and Tyndale Seminary uh, it's always an exciting time because uh, the students aren't always aware of how everything gets paid for you, you probably know that if you've had an 18 year old in your life um, and and when you start to explain to them exactly how it works that 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 actually on that day this is when all of the people who support uh, Tyndale their money enables them for the next two and a half months to finish their education uh, you are those kinds of supporters you are the people it's about a two million dollar gap uh, we budgeted for 1.5 million this year and we're very very close to hitting it and we want to hit that by the end of April so we're asking uh, as we take up an offering today that you would consider uh, Tyndale University College in this new cycle as we move uh, onto this campus we would ask that you would consider today in our offering to give to that annual fund uh, that two and a half months that students like these guys uh, would be able to continue their education. This is a, an important time in Tyndale's history. We have moved from the back to the front. I was up at Value Mart recently and, and she said, where do you work? And I said, I work at Tyndale. And they said, where's that? And uh, I said, well, you're going to know pretty soon because we're moving up onto Bayview. And she said, oh, that's what's going on there. God has placed us in a particular time at a particular place with a particular kind of witness and an educational mission that will produce the kinds of students that can be salt and light in our world. And we need your participation and your support. So as we take up this offering, please consider us. Thank you. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. We believe. I believe in God. I believe in God. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Father Almighty. We believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And earth. And earth. 
I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. We, we believe. believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus Christ. His only begotten Son, our, our Lord. Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin. Mary. Born of the Virgin. Mary. He suffered. He, he suffered. suffered. He, he suffered. 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 He suffered. Under Pontius Pilate. Crucify him! He was crucified! 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 Dead! And buried. He descended into hell. But I believe. But I believe. But I believe. But I believe. But, but we, we believe that on the third day, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He, he rose again into from heaven the dead. and sits he at the right into hand and God sits at the right hand. He rose again he from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And, and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. We believe. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I believe there is one holy Catholic Christian Church. We believe in, in the, the communion, communion of saints. saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. The, the forgiveness, forgiveness of, of sins. sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. The, the resurrection, resurrection of, of the, the body. body. And we believe, we believe in the life everlasting. The, the life everlasting. Everlasting, everlasting life. life. Amen. 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 Good afternoon, everybody. <laughs> My name is Axel Kazadi and I'm a seminary student, and I'll be graduating uh, this year. And uh, oftentimes when uh, I meet people, they always ask me this question, Axel, what is your story? And uh, so this afternoon, I'll be sharing my story with you, and then after I share my story with you, uh, I, I will end with a, with a spoken word that will uh, summarize uh, my story. So my story begins in Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo. I, I was born uh, there in uh, Lubumbashi, it's the so southern part of the country. Uh, the capital city is Kinshasa, and that's the second uh, largest French-speaking 
uh, city in the world. So I was born French, and uh, so at home we would speak French, and uh, my native language as well is Swahili, so I would speak Swahili as well at home. And so when I was seven years old, uh, my, my family, uh, we left Congo because of political reasons. And we moved uh, to Zambia. So I, I lived in uh, Lusaka. That's the capital city uh, of, of Zambia. And while I was there, um, Zambia, uh, the official language is English. So I had to learn English pretty quickly. They don't speak French. And uh, so at school, would learn English. It's uh, under uh, a British system. And uh, so at school, we would learn English. And once we're out of school, uh, we would speak uh, the Zambian language called Chinyanja. And, uh, Nyanja. And, 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 and when I'm at home, I, I switch to French or Swahili. So it was, it was crazy. And, and uh, so that, that, that was my world. And, and I, I was born in a, 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 a Christian um, family. And uh, I learned a lot about God um, in that family. Um, they taught me a lot about uh, God and uh, holiness. And, uh, and I, while I was there as well, the church that I attended, I was part of the uh, children's choir. So I would sing uh, every Sunday up here in front of people. And uh, so I, I really had a, a rich experience, a Christian experience uh, growing up. And then when I moved to Canada, I moved to Canada when I was 12. So I, I moved to uh, New Brunswick. I lived mainly in Bathurst. They, uh, it's an, a French uh, region of uh, New Brunswick. And uh, so it, it was great for my family because there uh, they speak uh, French, so it was easier uh, to, uh, to do the transition. And so while I was there, uh, I, I got to finish my uh, first, uh, my second half of my middle school, and uh, also uh, my high school days. Uh, I spent my high school days in Bathurst. And so while I was in high school, uh, I, I, I was led away uh, from God. I, I was led astray and got into different uh, things, would party with friends, and, and, and it was just a chaotic uh, experience. And it wasn't until uh, in my final year of high school when I lost uh, seven of my friends in a van accident that life became very serious. Um, while I was in high school prior to that moment, you know, life was, was you know, was fun. You'd, you'd hang out with friends, go out, uh, weekends, and, and, and as as a young person, you feel like you go on, like living like this. You you feel like you're immortal in a sense, like this can go on forever. And so you 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 begin to feel invincible, as it were. And, and so, in my final year of high school, um, my seven of my friends they were part of a, a high school basketball team. And uh, the event is called Boys in Red. You can search it up on Google. Uh, CBC covered it. So um, they were playing a basketball game uh, in a town called Moncton. It was three hours away from, it's three hours away from Bathurst. And so after they finished that game, uh, they planned to return uh, to Bathurst. But on that 
day, on, on that night, it was snowing heavily, very heavily. And as they were approaching Bathurst, um, the, the students uh, on, the, on the van, they called their parents, uh, come and pick us up at this particular uh, place. And, and then the parents were like, okay, uh, we'll, we'll be there. And so they were confident that they were going to uh, beat the storm. And as the van was uh, five minutes away from uh, Bathurst, uh, it hit black ice. And as it, as it hit black ice, it started swerving to the left uh, lane of the road. Now, as it was swerving to the left side, the oncoming transporter was, hit them. It, there was a big transporter that was coming from the other, uh, the other side. And as they swerved, the transporter hit them. And uh, seven of my friends couldn't uh, survive that accident. Uh, the coach who was driving survived. Uh, his daughter, who was on the left side of the van, survived. And two players uh, survived. But seven of my friends uh, did not survive. So the following uh, morning, when I received the news over uh, the radio, we were told that this particular incident happened. Uh, last night, and, and they advised uh, the Bathurst High School students to uh, go to, to school to hear about the report and about those who did not make it. So I went, and then when I heard uh, the report and, and, the, and the players that didn't make the accident, I was devastated. I became uh, depressed. Um, growing up, uh, you'd hear a lot about death on the news. It's never personal. But on that particular day, it was very personal. And, and it was hard for me to deal with it at the moment. My heart was overwhelmed. I, I, could know, I couldn't know how to deal with this particular uh, situation. So I became depressed. I couldn't even uh, uh, wrestle the understanding of death itself with, with, with God. Uh, why would such a thing uh, happen? Why would God allow this thing to happen to my friends? Um, it, it was a hard, a hard question for me to explore. Uh, and in that depressive uh, state, I started becoming, uh, I started stressing out. And so that also affected my physical health. I received mono. I couldn't play uh, soccer, um, and, and so I had to, uh, as it were, I had to stop playing soccer for that moment. And, and in, in that moment, I, I wrestled with the fear of death. The fear of death was on my heart. Um, I, I didn't know what was going, what was waiting on. on I don't. I don't know what, at that moment, because I was led astray. I, I, I didn't have any understanding deeply what was waiting for me uh, if I were to die. Um, and, and so the fear of death really grappled me and, and, and it was hard for me to deal with. Uh, and then until one moment, I, I heard uh, a voice. I, even to this day, I, I cannot explain it. Uh, even to to people, I, even to myself when I think about it. It's like, how did this happen? But I, I, I heard a voice. It said to me, 
come back to me. Now, from somebody looking from the outside, maybe it's just like, oh, that's just nothing. It doesn't mean anything. But for me, deeply inside, it, it meant a lot because it really um, reminded me of how, when I heard that voice, it really reminded me of how in the past uh, I used to love God. I used to um, have a, a vibrant relationship with, with him. I, I, I used to be uh, intimately intimate with him. And so when I heard that voice, it's time for you to come back, uh, I fell to my knees and started praying, praying for God to deliver me from this fear of death because I was wrestling with it excessively. It, it, it wasn't a normal kind of uh, wrestling. And, and so when I prayed to God to uh, help me um, overcome this, to help me, free me from this understanding, to give me a peace of mind. And then suddenly, uh, I was reassured that God was with me, and God gave me that peace of mind. Now, the fear of death, it, it, it's, it's there. It's, it's a natural one. It's there, but it doesn't have the power that it once had on me. I don't worry about it excessively. I don't worry about death excessively anymore because Christ overcame death at the cross and in his resurrection overcoming death and and uh, and sin um, he identifies with our suffering at the cross and and in conquering death and sin in his resurrection he assures us that in this world we will have trouble but he tells us to take heart because he has overcome the world and no matter what situations you go through, you might have experiences where you feel like the future is bleak. You, you feel like, you know, the, you never get out of this situation. But Christ has overcome death. He has overcome it all for us so that we can have life and experience life. So I'm going to share a spoken word that just um, summarizes um, my story. All the tragedies that trouble us between life and death. That winter night was horrifying. The roads were slippery while the coach was driving back to Bathurst on that stormy night. The players called their parents and told them that they were few minutes away. They were confident that they were going to beat the storm. The van, which up to that moment was their safe home, became unstable when it drove on black ice, and it began to make its way towards the left lane of the road. And as it swerved to the left side, an oncoming transporter hit the side of the van, and the body parts of some of my friends were scattered. Those who were alive a second ago were no longer with us a second later. The following day was a nightmare for my town. The sun couldn't outshine the darkness of our grief. My life was shaken. We felt God forsaken. I was moving into uncomfortable territories. Gone were the victories of my past. And life slowed down. 
and it became very serious. It became a foreign language that I couldn't even understand. In my confusion, I tried to hold myself together. I tried to be strong for my friends, but I was very powerless. I fell into despair. The fear of death strangled the life out of me, and I couldn't look past this misery. Everything, everything was bleak. My heart was overwhelmed and stress took a hold of me. Life could not stop for me, so it left me behind. I kept a lot of things inside of me, though. Suffered psychologically in my mind. The situation was undesirable. The depression, untenable. Until God met me there. He met me there through scripture, spirit-filled words from people, and testimonies of those whose lives were profoundly transformed by God. There, there, Christ regenerated me when I abandoned myself to him. Then my heart began to beat. I could breathe again. Oh, the hopes that hold us between life and death. But our lives in Christ are dynamically eternal and victorious. Sin and death have no grip on us anymore because Christ died on, for our sins at the cross and conquered death and sin through his resurrection. Death has lost its sting. Because of Christ's resurrection, I now live for God. We now live for God. The fear of death doesn't stress me excessively. Though it is there, it is a corpse. It is there, but it doesn't have the power it once had when I was depressed. One of the things that the faith highlights is that life will be difficult at times, but suffering and death do not have the final say. Christ's resurrection, which guarantees life beyond death, is that final say. Christ did not come to condemn the world, but to save and restore it. In this sense, Christ is the hope of the world. And those who are in Christ can never be separated from the love of God. Not even death can separate us from God, who is love. Thank you. Let's pray. Do not be afraid, for God has redeemed you. The Lord has called you by your name. And so, may the Spirit of the Lord be upon you as you proclaim good news to the poor, release to the captives, sight to the blind, and freedom to the oppressed. In this, the year of the Lord's favor. May the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood that sealed an eternal covenant, equip you with all you need for doing God's will. May the God of peace make you perfect 
and holy, keeping your spirit, life, and body blameless for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. To the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be glory now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. It's been an incredible afternoon, would you agree? Well, with what we hope is our first annual Easter in the chapel, uh, to get things going this year uh, was the brainchild of many people, but there were two key champions who really got this going. And I'm speaking about our Chancellor, Stephanie Ling, and Don Warkington. Stephanie, can I invite you to come forward? Thank you. Uh, Beginning new initiatives at Tyndale is such an excitement because it draws all of our community and people together. And I know that as we draw to a close our inaugural Easter in the Chapel celebration, you need to agree with me that we have an awesome community of alumni and students, don't we? This idea came from Don. I'd like you to come up here with me. Don Workington, who had this dream and this vision which became a reality. And when she brought it to our attention over almost two years ago, we just said, all right, is it going to happen? Can we make it happen? And through her prayers and vision, She was able to mastermind and coordinating all of the students and everybody together and looked after all of the rehearsals, and we are indebted to her for her persistence and her her dream and helping us to develop this as one of our legacies. So we'd love to present you with this in appreciation for all that you've done. And we'd like to say thank you to each one of you. Just give your attention to the screen for a very short video.